Luke 1 at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word for his own name's sake. This season, I think one of the things that tends to excite in our minds or, or maybe uh, force on our minds is gifts. And I'm thinking that a lot of children here and adults uh, are excited uh, right about now because of the gifts that they may be about to receive or even the gifts that they will give. In most cases, uh, when we're the ones giving the gifts, we like to have them meet you know, certain aims. For instance, we'd like the gift to be valuable to the person who receives it because it's useful or beautiful. And if we have our way, we want it to be a good gift. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthian believers there about their giving. And he ends his comments with the greatest of all examples of giving. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, Jesus is that gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I want to look at that word that he uses to describe God's gift. He calls it inexpressible. And the literal meaning of that is not expounded in full. And it's not expounded in full because it can't be expounded in full. And so as a result, in various translations of scripture, there are many words that are used to try to express the thought of this word. So here it's inexpressible, but here are others. Unspeakable, inestimable, indescribable, incomparable. Ineffable, now that's a word we don't use every day, but it means this, too great or extreme to be expressed or described in words. And then finally, one paraphrase just puts it this way, too wonderful for words. Too wonderful for words. You know, I mentioned how we like to give gifts that are valuable or thoughtful or useful, but God's gift is so massive, so vast, that, as we've just seen, it defies description. But on this Christmas Eve, I believe it will cheer and encourage our hearts to ponder what we can see about God's gift and all that it can mean to each of us. So this Christmas Eve morning, let's consider Jesus the best of all gifts. 
And before we do, let's just ask the Lord today, especially to speak, of each, speak to each one of us personally. Father, we do come before you now, and Lord, we acknowledge that Jesus is the best of all gifts. There's no question about that. But Father, we want more of that gift than we've ever had before. We want to see him more, understand him more, feel his presence and power more. And so we are asking today that the spirit that he sent, that is sent forth also from you, our Father, that that spirit today, Lord, will be poured out in an individual and specific way that today makes the Lord Jesus precious to each of us individually, that speaks to us where we are, that shows us our Lord Jesus is that answer for wherever we are and whatever we're facing. And that today, Lord, makes him, lifts him in a way that we see him and trust him as never before. So, Father, we ask you, send your spirit to do all that in us this day. and Bless your precious word to each of our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do is look at this gift for the next few minutes from three vantage points. Uh, I want us to look at it as inexpressible in its value, inexpressible in its love, and then finally inexpressible in its usefulness. So let's begin with the fact that this gift is inexpressible in its value. And just think about it. We have been given God the Son. We have been given God. He came that we might have this gift that is nothing less than God. Uh, you remember last summer, perhaps, when we took a couple of Sundays uh, to focus our attention on God's attributes. And we saw that every one of the individual attributes, everything that is true about God, is true to an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable degree. And so that's why knowledge becomes omniscience. That's why power becomes omnipotence, you see. Because it's true to an infinite, eternal, unchangeable degree. But think of that. This gift that you have been given is a person of infinite love, infinite grace, infinite mercy, goodness, power, knowledge, wisdom, faithfulness, and so much more. All that is given to us in him. We may say that every aspect of his being is given for our benefit, both now and forever. And we'll see how much as we go on this morning. But here I can only be suggestive. If I, if I had the time, <laughs> uh, I would love to turn to every one of these passages and, and just look at the scripture that describes these wonders that I'm about to list. But I want us to start just by thinking about the roles that Jesus, this gift of ours, fills. We learn from scripture that he's our prophet, priest, and king. Well, think about that. He's our prophet in order to speak truth to us in order to guide us. He's our great high priest. He secures our forgiveness by presenting, not any blood, but his own shed blood to the Father to wash away our sins. And then, on the basis of his finished work, to request of the Father, in his name, on his merit, everything we will ever need. And much more than that, just because he delights to give it. Because he loved and evil and destruction are thwarted and overthrown. It's that kingly office that makes it be able to be true that all things work together for good to his people. 
That's who he is. That's what he does. But then let's think about the fact that he's also our shepherd. And that picture is just so full. Whole books have been written on Psalm 23, you know, just on the, 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 the true, that image. He's not just talking about the, the external physical feeding, but the internal kind as well. Everything we're ever going to need. He gives us rest. Why? Because all the responsibility is his, and he is more than capable. If it's rested in his court, you don't have to bear it on your own shoulders. He protects us, so much so that he lays down his life for the sheep that we might be well forever and might be with him forever. Our bridegroom who woos us and satisfies us with the greatest love there is. Folks, let this sink into your hearts. We were made for a love that no human can ever provide, no matter how hard they try. We were made for nothing less than a love that truly is divine. We were made to love and be loved by God. And there's so much more. And remember all that he calls himself. He calls himself the bread of life to satisfy every kind of hunger. He's called the water of life to quench every kind of thirst. He's the light of life to dispel all our darkness. He's the resurrection and the life to ensure that we will be with him forever. And then he's the way, the truth, and the life, the sum of everything that we would ever need or want. That's who he is. So do you see, you were not made to live on anything less than him. He's the answer. Folks, please see this. You have been given Emmanuel, God with us. That's his value. But then let's think about the fact that it's all, he's also inexpressible. This gift is inexpressible in its love. You know, sometimes a gift reveals the love behind it by its costliness in one way or another. You know, sometimes that's in terms of money, where the person sacrificed to spend more than they really could afford. Um, at other times, there's time and effort that goes above and beyond because that person and the gift given to that person matters so very much. But look at the costliness. Look at the sacrifice of this particular gift. Jesus came knowing, knowing what awaited him. What the cost would ultimately be. And then that's not only just unimaginable physical suffering. But then taking the wrath of God on our sin on his own head on his head. But of course, we certainly deserved it, right? Well, are you kidding? <laughs> Listen to what Romans 5 says, how it puts it. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8 say, for while we were still at the right time, Christ died for who? The one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no gift like this gift. You know, there's a, a hymn that I love. It's called The Ninety and Nine. And this hymn is especially with a view to the people that he loves, is just describing the shepherd leaving you know, the, 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 the 99, and going after that one sheep because he doesn't want to lose a single one, because he loves that one. And you talk about costliness, you talk about sacrifice. Well, I love how this particular 
a stanza of the hymn portrays it. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed. Nor was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found. And hallelujah, we don't know it. He endured that. He for us. So folks, we were worth it to him. And our value is not an inherent value that we possess. It was value given us by how much he loves us. That's where the value comes from. But we actually see that love displayed and described in God's word, um, again, in a number of places, and we could go all day with this, but let me highlight some. For one thing, it is infinite love. Um, there's an example, there's a phrase in uh, 1 John that says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I love to think about that phrase when you're thinking about any attribute of God, especially infinite love. Why? Because you see, God is light, and that pushes out all the darkness. There's no room for the darkness. If you have an infinite love, you can't have anything that is the opposite. And so I like to think of it this way. God is love, and in him is no lack of love or unlove at all. There's just no room for it. He his love, like that sun, like that light, is shining constantly, and there's just no room for darkness. But then also, we find in God's word that this love is unconditional. You know, the very nature of the gospel that has Jesus at the center is that it is all of grace. You don't, you can't earn a thing. The reason behind his love is in him, not in you. And what a comfort that is, folks. <laughs> Nobody's taking the temperature of your love. That love is in him. He is its source, not in us. And that is a sweet thing. And because you don't generate it, you can't lose it. It's all of grace all the time. But it's also eternal love. Having been fixed on you, it will never die. It can't die as long as the eternal God still lives and still reigns. But then one other thing, and that is, for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it deep love. You see, the love of Jesus is so strong, so engaged, and so intimate that it forges a connection that maintains, and he feels at all times. And again, I'd love to have the time to, to show you how many different ways this is demonstrated in Scripture, uh, to show you all the statements and all the pictures, but just let me list a few. We read in scripture that he's the great high priest and, and taking the picture in the Old Testament with the, the breastplate and the, the shoulder pads that the, the priest had. He is the great high priest who bears us, who feels us on his heart and on his shoulders always. That's how he deals with us. Isaiah then tells us, can a mother forget her infant child? They may in some rare case forget, but the Lord says, I will not forget you. He says, you are graven on the palms of my hands. And that is a sweet thought, because what are on the palms of his hands? They are nail prints to this day. In heaven, he's the only imperfect body that will be there, because those nail prints will still be declaring his love. Then he says, he that touches you touches the apple of my eye. That most sensitive part. That's how precious we are to him. And then there's an expression from Isaiah chapter 63 that says this, in all our afflictions, he is afflicted. 
That's how intimate that connection is. He, his welfare is intimately connected to our welfare. There's a great example of that very thing in all our afflictions. He's afflicted uh, when Saul, when Jesus speaks to Saul on the road to Damascus. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, he hadn't done anything to Jesus. He'd done it to his people. But Jesus felt it. Jesus took it. It was to him. But then one more picture that I want to give. And um, you know the story of Joseph uh, in Egypt at the end of Genesis, quite a long section of Genesis tells that story. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt, but God was at work in that. And Joseph even was made to see it. And so next thing you know, he's the second in the land. Uh, God had given him the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. And so he said there are going to be seven years of famine, or seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine. And so Joseph is putting, put in charge of storing up all that is going to be needed during the years of plenty for the years of famine. And so he does that. Well, eventually the famine is in all that area. And so it begins to affect Joseph's families. Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. And so the next thing you know, one day he's you know, meeting people to give them the food, and here are the brothers of Joseph. And so he meets with them, he meets with them a second time. Uh, he, he, you know, so there's some intrigue involved in there, so they leave and they come back. And so all this time, you know, Joseph has seen the hand of God in all of this. And, and so what is happening is the heartstrings of his love for his brothers just is building and building and building, and there's just this tremendous tension. And so all of a sudden, he, he remember he had to go away and weep, you know, because of all of this just to release the pressure. But finally, he can take it no longer. He can hold it back no longer. And so he just yells and screams out for all the Egyptians to leave his house. And so they all leave his house, and he reveals himself to his brothers. He says, I am Joseph. I'm your brother. God has been at work in all of this. He sent me here to save your lives. That's what he has been doing. I, I've never read that, pro, that section without crying. I do every time. Because you, you just, if you're reading it, you're, the tension is building. And, and all of a sudden, he just cannot, cannot hold it back. And so he reveals himself to his brothers. And you remember, he weeps and wails so loudly that all the Egyptians here might as well not have sent him out because everybody is going to hear. But I think about that passage and I like to think that it was the same with us. I like to think that God beheld the harm that sin was doing us and moved with powerful compassion. Both father and son could not hold back any longer. The father had to send him and Jesus had to come because that love was so intense. You know, let me close this section by just repeating the last part of a quote that um, I read a couple of weeks ago from Elizabeth Prentice. And she said this, Oh, if we could only begin to conceive how he loves us, what different creatures we would be. Hallelujah. So true. But then finally, this particular gift is inexpressible in its usefulness. I mean, for one thing, right off the bat, it overcomes our sin. 
It overcomes sin. And, and, and let us never lose the wonder of this, that because of Jesus, all our sin, past, present, and future, it is all forgiven. And speaking of past, present, and future, I love to think of it this way, as many uh, preachers and writers have emphasized that in the view toward the past, he has paid the penalty of our sins. In the present, he is overcoming and he is destroying and he's delivering us from the power of our sins. And someday, some glorious day, he will deliver us even from the presence of our sin. It will be gone. Absolutely gone. That's the reality. But in addition to that, well, this gift makes us possessors of all that Christ has. And that's external wealth. We're told in 1 Corinthians, all things are ours. But then it's also this internal fullness. In other words, when we receive Jesus with him, we get everything else thrown in. That's the reality. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this very thing. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. Do you understand that, that the, it's the same words that are translated grace and gift? It's the same group of words. You see that? Grace is the gift. Jesus is the gift. And with him, we get all the grace. But one other thing, and that is that we also receive the usefulness of this gift is also expressed by the transformation that he has purposed to work in each of us into the very image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that as we look at him, as we behold his glory, we are being transformed into the same image. And, and what's fascinating about that is, do you know the word that it uses there? It is the word that comes down to us as metamorphosis. It's metamorpho. That is the word. In other words, it's that same transformation that takes this uh, wormy caterpillar and turns it into an absolutely glorious display of, of God's amazing wisdom and creative power. Turns it into a glorious butterfly. And so that same word, we are transformed into the image of Jesus. And it's because this is so that the Bible can make such breathtaking statements about who we are to become as he works in this. And again, I can only just give you a short list, but we're partakers of the divine nature. We wouldn't say that if God hadn't said it, but that's what's true. We are to be filled with all the fullness of God. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We are possessors in Jesus, Colossians tells us, of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're in him. And he's the gift we've been given. But then also we are a people who can boldly say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's so much more. So much more that scripture says. So folks, there's never, ever been a gift so useful as this one. So as I close this morning, let me ask you, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've been given nothing less than Jesus, God the Son. So how much of who he is and what he gives have you really grasped and entered into? You know, he's infinite, you know, there's no limit. <laughs> you're not going to come to the end of it. 
Have you grasped and entered into the point where you're experiencing consistent joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit? Or to the point where you habitually cast all your care on Him who cares for you and you leave it there? Or to the point where you know by experience that His grace is sufficient for you at all times and you rest in that? No? Then go for it. <laughs> because the gift has already been given. It's yours. Man, I'm not there in any of these things. I've got a long way to go, but hallelujah, it's there to go for. It's there to experience and to be given. And I could go on. There's so much more. You see, the Bible makes truly staggering statements about all you may have in Jesus. But I think the sum of it all is this. Have you come to the place where what you want above all other things and all other gifts is more of him, more of the greatest gift there is. I tell you, if you hear God in his word, there's just nothing that is greater, nothing worth having if you don't have him. Folks, Jesus yearns to be everything to you. He yearns to show you how much he loves you and yearns for you to feel him right there with you in every step of your life yearns that his presence and power and grace be yours because you're experiencing him in absolutely everything you do. And folks, it's not something you have to go out and do or earn. It's a gift he gave. And whether you came here this morning as already a believer in Jesus or not, this gift just has to be believed and received. That's all he's asking. So may each of us do just that this Christmas season and in the new year. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do bless you today. We, we think of David's words long ago when you told him what you were going to do through him and you were going to build him a house. And that house culminated in Jesus. That was the fulfillment of all that promise. And David went in and sat before you and he said, Lord, only you could come up with such a gift. Only you could divine, devise such a plan. And so, Father, we say the same thing. All that we have been thinking about, all that we have been reading as we ponder the great gift that is ours in the Lord Jesus, only you, Father, in your infinite, eternal, and unchangeable love could devise such a thing. But, Father, it's like a gift on earth that has 70 features and we use one. Oh Lord, we don't want to leave undone, unenjoyed, unexperienced all the riches and fullness that Jesus is to be to us. And so we ask you, oh Lord, that this Christmas season more than ever, that we will trust him, that we will, Lord, hear what you promise and that we will open our hearts and say yes to Jesus and we will receive all that he purchased for us. So thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace poured out. Thank you for this greatest of all gifts. And Father, we pray, let every day of the coming new year be a day in which we learn more of how rich and precious that gift is. We ask it in Jesus' name.